Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our friends around the world. This is Gingerly. We are live. This is Purple Suede and Styled Pigeon coming at you. How are you doing, Styled Pigeon? Uh, I'm the same as always. I'm always so excited on these Sundays where I get to like jump on and talk to cool people about cool things, and I can't wait. I'm stoked about this conversation too, specifically. This is going to be really cool. Uh, me and Pigeon have been super obsessed about AI for the last couple weeks. And so this interview is timely. It was scheduled in advance. So I feel like fate just kind of lined everything up for us. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we're going to dive in for today. We're going to be talking about blockchain and AI is it the future of commerce. But before we dive in, I want to give a quick pitch to our sponsor. Uh, big thanks to Roundly X. Uh, for sponsoring the show gingerly it's a simple to use app that allows you to round up your purchases into bitcoin and other digital assets with spare change automatically this set it and forget it dollar cost averaging tool or dca tool helps you build wealth safely and conveniently over time and it actually helped me pay off my subaru in a time of financial stress during the pandemic and um, if you check out our little referral code here or here on the screen uh, you can sign up with code gingerly and get four dollars of free bitcoin after your first roundup uh, keep an eye on their social medias because they're going to be announcing a really big partnership with the Giving Block here shortly. Um, if you're around Lake Caesar already, scroll down to the bottom of your screen and look for the Giving Block connection. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Giving Block coming to Roundly X. All right. With that, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive in. Nick, if you could cue the Heck yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kieran onto the show. Hey, hey everyone. what's up, Kieran? Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Two other yeah, man. This is the first time that we have three gingers on Gingerly. I feel like the ginger just is going to explode out of the interwebs. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I do. we've maxed out the amount in the community now, right? That's, that's the three of us. We're, I think, we're yeah. a statistical anomaly for sure. Yes. We are. And you know what? Maybe we should see how many gingers we could get on the show sometime. That'd be, fun. <laughs> That'd be a fun game. <laughs> that National well, hey, Redhead Day. Yeah. Let me kick us off with like an official bio slash intro for you, Kieran. Um, so uh, I like giving more background and then we can dive into a conversation and just have a good time. So um, cool. my friend Kieran is a generalist. He has a trad five background in commodities uh, and, and freight, which is really cool because last week's guest, Fibo, also has that sort of background. Hmm. Um, and before getting into crypto in 2016, uh, Kieran became a full DJ in 18 and 19, heavily invested in DeFi. He is a contemporary art collector, which now includes NFTs, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, you formed three businesses, including the Blockchain Recruit. Uh, you worked as an associate at Pi Labs uh, VC, helping with scouting, pipeline, and due diligence for pre-seed to Series A companies and helping run the award-winning accelerator program before helping run a family office, which backed new, fu new fund managers. And now you're at NeoSwap as a part of the founding team. That's quite the bio, man. You've been uh, you've been doing a lot since uh, 2018, huh? Thank you. I get bored easily. Yeah. <laughs> Me and you both. I feel like... I feel like we're in good we're in good presence because me and Pigeon identify with that a lot. We literally can't say no to projects. We're staying busy all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, that's really cool. Um, I'm really excited to dive in to AI and NFTs because um, you know I, my first perspective of AI for me, and I know a lot of people probably even watching this show, me and Pigeon have experienced this on social media in the last week, are pretty afraid of AI. Everyone mm -hmm. thinks you know, hey, AI is coming for my job, or AI is deceptive. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's kind of a gimmick. Even people in the NFT community seems to feel that way. But what I really want to do in this conversation is kind of talk about what we know about AI, show people the light side of it, right? And then maybe talk about how AI is going to influence uh, NFTs, commerce, and all that good stuff. Sounds um, good. So I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good chat. Um, so me and Pigeon were wondering, uh, as like a first question, like, when did you first get like the art bug, right? So let's back it way up. What what led to Kieran wanting to get into art? Um, it was, I tell you, it's a mix of fortune. I didn't actively want to get into art back then, but I studied art. Uh, we do GCSEs in England uh, as a high school kind of 16 year olds. Um, so I studied it up to then, always really enjoyed it. I wasn't quite into the contemporary art space back then. I didn't, I didn't really get it. Um, and then I had a friend of mine who's older than, than I am by about 10 years or so, 15 years. And I was around his house for years and he was a collector. And his walls just started getting filled up with more and more art. And every time I go around there, we just end up chatting about a piece that I liked or a piece he liked or a piece he just got. And um, he's also a very good collector with some really good names. And I was kind of saying to him, well, you know, how do you fund it? And he was explaining to me some of the ways he, he buys, you know, buys his collection through his other pieces that he's held for a while. And maybe he wants to move some on and, and get something fresh. And um over the course of probably like two years of just speaking art with him all of the time, I just thought, right, I want to get involved with it. So that was about a decade ago, I'd say. And then I started collecting about eight, nine years ago, roughly. Um, and yeah, ever since I've just picked up, I, I kind of have uh, Tracy Emin, Damien Hurst pieces, Jonas Woods. Um, but then I also have, you know, like the one you can see by me there, that's a, an artist I found on Twitter. Um, where I just really liked her pieces and bought that's a little original canvas and uh, I've got a few print editions from her so um, I just collect kind of all uh, odds bits and bobs um, typically editions um, because of especially with the bigger names um, which is kind of interesting in the NFT in the art world there's some parallels there but uh, yeah I, I basically was just lucky um, which I have been a lot in my life and, and uh, had a good friend who was in the space and was kind enough to answer all my annoying questions that's awesome. I, I actually wish that I had somebody uh, like that. I don't know if you can see behind me. I do a little bit of art and painting myself more digital now than anything, but um, that's just some stuff I have left over from college, which I have the opposite problem. I don't have collection pieces lying around all over the place. I have stuff that I've done that's either unfinished or completely valueless that just like takes up room in my workshop or whatever. Uh, the value. So like, the value thing's an interesting point though because you say completely value this valueless but a like someone will value it even if it's just yourself right like, that's the whole thing with art and nfts and something i've touched on with a few people it's like 99 percent of art that's created is, is dollar value worthless in a sense but mm -hmm. for other people it could be sentiment it could represent a period in their life it could represent something someone's done you know made an effort to make whether that's yourself and so values uh Value is a very expansive word, I think. So don't be too hard on yourself there. <laughs> I'm certainly not hard on myself unless it comes to actual <laughs> art skill. But the creation stuff is just, you know, I, I would much rather be a creator than a consumer most of the time. So yeah, uh, that's just kind of life values, which I won't get on my hobby horse about values now. <laughs> which, I mean, that's part of the reason why we're here, right? We're all trying to create stuff and like, not just consume. So, you know, if you're watching this show, thank you for consuming and think about how you can produce too, right? Um, so Kieran, one thing that uh, really 
kind of made me think about leading to the next question that I had for you is talking about value in art. Um, and when we talk, when we say the words for me, you know, we're both in NFTs, all three of us are in NFTs. So when we say value in art, we think, yeah, NFTs, right? So, but what, what kind of led you to that realization or like what pulled you into NFTs that made you start, I, I can hear in your voice when you talk about value in art, how NFTs plug into that. So kind of tell us what led you to the NFTs and like how, what you think about value in that particular vein. Um. I think it was the art background. Um, I've told this story a few times, but I was at a WeWork Blockchain Labs talk in, I think it was 2019, and it was the Cockfoster twins, who are the founders <clears throat> of this Gateway, were presenting. And um, I'd not heard really of what an NFT was back then and not in detail, and they explained what it was. And I just thought that was really interesting. And so I went away and had a look at their platform, um, and this was before it, it really blew up, which was cool to see for them. They were ahead of the curve. But um, I just immediately related it to, I guess, the collector's mindset and the collector's viewpoint, which is something I've written about a bit, which was, and, and especially for kids now growing up or people from our generation and, and younger and there are people who are older as well, but the idea of digital scarcity isn't alien to a lot of them. I don't, it doesn't mean everyone gets that, but I think value is a, is a subjective thing and you don't need everyone to universally agree. Um, you know, there are pieces I have that someone, I couldn't pay them to take it away from me. And then there's other people who wouldn't be able to get their checkbook out quick enough to try and offer me money for it. And so you can see that there's the two ends of the spectrum there. You know, I don't know, a Damien Hurst print as an example where someone would be like, I think that just looks rubbish and it's a load of spots and they're rubbish. This modern art is, is pathetic. And then or Jackson other, Pollock. Right. Yeah, exactly. Who would say, yeah. oh, God, you know, I've been desperate for this piece and I want it. I like name your price. Um, right. And so I kind of came at it from this idea that if if people if enough people are accepting the idea of scarcity, like narrative is a powerful thing as well. Um, whether you know you want to get into the tech side or not, um, and people, if people agree and can congregate around that, then you can create value because people value these things and they say, "Well, I want the original of this, or I want the, you know, one of ten edition of that, or the one of a hundred. And so, um, it just didn't feel like a massive mental leap to me. Um, for some people, it is, and I get it. It's probably never going to be for them. But um, from my perspective, just as a collector, I thought, "Well, that's interesting." Um, and it was also just another way to support uh, creators. And, you know, there's plenty of digital creators who this has opened up a whole new realm for them that just wasn't possible before, even if they have been making stuff for years. I know it's the cliche example, but Beeple is probably the, the easiest or the laziest example of that. But like that guy was <clears throat> creating stuff daily for years. And, I, you know, regardless of what you think of his work, um, he has been making stuff for a long time. And this clearly offered him a new platform in a completely different way to be supported by people that he had never had before. Yeah, no, I mean, that's brilliant. I love the fact that NFT lowers the bar for access for artists to get paid for their work and to do what they love. I mean, that's mm. really important. You know, that's part of the reason why I came to NFTs actually was because of the potential that it has for the gaming ecosphere, right? Um, mm -hmm. Back in 2017, 18, people were losing their minds because esports was doing more revenue than like the National Football League. Um, and then I started hearing about NFTs and thought, oh, my God, can you imagine what would happen if that sort of economy was opened up to the people who are good at games? And those people are traditionally thought of as the people that would be working the job at McDonald's for a crypto Twitter phrase. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, no, that that really um, 
is appealing to me specifically. Um, but I noticed on the word that, that you said, oh, go for Karen, Well, just on go. that note as well from value, I think like it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but there is the utility aspect. And that's something that has never really factored in to my side of things on the traditional art space in that I buy a piece because I really like it. And maybe I like the artist as well and I can support them or not depends where the source is that I'm buying from and I can hang it on the wall and enjoy it. And that's cool. And in its most base form, that is the utility for me is that I like looking at it. And if people come around, maybe there's a story behind it. I like to tell, and it's a shared, you know, human connection and that's cool. Um, I think NFTs are, are kind of maybe not taking it a step further, but they're combining stuff from other places. So whether that's gaming or, you know, it's a token gated access or to a community. And, and I think a better way to think about it is, um, Robbie Young from Animoca said this to me when I was asking about if, if everyone can be a member, is anyone a member? And he said, I, I think about it more as subscriptions. And I said, okay, that's an interesting, I think, phraseology difference that does make sense to me where it's like, it's not necessarily rooted in exclusivity. It's just rooted in access. And that access gives you some cool stuff. Um, you know, like you can afford a Netflix subscription or you get the, you get access to the shows. Um, and that gives you some utility there to enjoy things, not purely just in a visual sense. And maybe that's on the gaming front as well. So yeah, I, I just think utility is an angle. I think it gets over worked um Agreed. by some people um yeah. but i do think there is still like in that there's a real important kernel yeah no for sure i, I like that you made that distinction because you know we're in the midst of the bear market and a lot of nft communities are coming at mods and community moderators and just being like where's the utility kind of thing and i like yeah. that you said well you know what i freaking like the piece you know what like i have all this art behind me because I like that it's there and that's utility. And like, if that's all your utility is, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, well, if you it, like, yeah. It puts collect, uh, uh, sorry, it puts creators in a funny uh, position as well with some because they have never been in this position before or maybe all they were expecting to do is put out a piece of art and, you know, maybe they could add some fun bonus stuff. And then there's a community that aren't always entitled. Some people are, some aren't, but feel like they're in, they're entitled to, you know, oh, well, if this project's doing X, so you should do that. Um, and you've got this weird confluence of tech and creator. And, you know, sometimes, um, with all due respect, like a lot of the these creators aren't deliberately don't want to be at the forefront of tech because they don't want to experiment on that front. They're already experimenting with their pieces and things. And so this kind of unreasonable expectation can come on them that they should be able to uh, add their pieces to a game and all this co cross composability, or they should be able to manage a whole community in a discord. And, you know, historically that may have been the duty of a gallery that represents them. That's the whole point of having some management and representation. And they're trying to do all that themselves. And it, this is a sliding scale, right? There's, there are some yeah. people who advertise they're going to do all this stuff and make a rod for their own back and other people who don't, and it's kind of thrust upon them and everything in between. But I do sympathize with a lot of people because I don't think they always realize what they getting into as well with that right yeah and i mean honestly uh i think that i would like people listening to hear the word said that you don't have to have this massive plan to scale your nft into some game piece or some crazy new fangled utility that's going to blow up and everyone's going to use and everyone that holds your nft is going to be rich i yeah. personally and like okay so this is a plug for style pigeon i really enjoy your art and whenever you mint stuff, I'm going to mint it because I really enjoy what it is. Does that mean that I want you to like build out the crazy metaverse pigeon game? Like, no, I just like what it is. <laughs> and so from me to you, please keep doing art. Please be involved in NFTs and people who are listening, 
please do the same because we we like your art and we want to participate in that well so for me for me it's this represents a bit of a uh maybe renaissance is a, a weird word to use for this but to me it's a renaissance uh of my college creation days when i was mm. in college i had plenty of time to mess around and create uh take a ceramic arts class or take a painting class or just you know tag some t-shirts that i thought were cool with some stencils and those all all of those things had meaning to me um especially given that i was you know just being introduced to friedrich nietzsche and all these different thinkers that i was really interested in um carl jung etc uh, so being able to kind of take my art and package it in a way where maybe I can be interested in multiple different forms of creation because I write as well, right? So if I could somehow yeah. use my visual art to support my fiction, which also supports the, the creative thinking that I do uh, in regards to value systems and other things that I think are important, which by the way is what the pigeons are about to begin with, right? Pigeons are everywhere. It's the every man uh, learning to uh, value certain things above others so that we can have a structured society here in Western civilization and not let it all crumble to the ground or try and burn it all down because we feel upset about something. Uh, that's what I want to encourage. And if I can manage to use my art or creativity to encourage some degree of adoption of those value systems, not specific ones, just having a value system of some sort then i would feel really successful about that but the the question is how do i do that in a way that i don't starve to death in the meantime mm -hmm. uh, because it takes a lot of time and effort to create this now less so with uh, the introduction of ai tools which you know segue king but uh <laughs> th those are really really helping me to you know produce more without having to sit down and and draw every pixel uh, mm -hmm. I can actually produce some some better things. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm, I might be able to give an example, actually, um, if if I may. Yeah, please. Uh, please. I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. Share it. I'll share it in the chat for Nick. And um, while you're doing that, I just want to point out, like, I I like the the phraseology tools, right? So when people think of things like NFTs, even Bitcoin, and now AI. These things are tools that help progress us in expression or art or work. Um, and I think we should think about, keep that in mind when we move on to the next part of AI. But please, Pigeon, dive into what you're sharing here. Yeah, so I just shared a brief uh, comic book page. Uh, and this is something that I've been working on totally casually, just like late night last night, didn't feel like playing Rocket League or anything. Um, and so I just jumped on Mid Journey AI and uh, have made some images that are kind of sequential. Uh, and all I have to do is drop it in Photoshop, organize it, and add some text. And I made this comic book page in, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes max. So it's like 20 minutes per page for a comic book artist. And it, it becomes difficult because there's certain elements that the AI doesn't fully grasp yet, mm -hmm. or things that I can't talk the AI into doing properly for what's happening in my head but it's still a, a huge creative outlet and this would take me you know i don't have very good uh tactile skill when it comes to actually drawing or painting um so this allows me to engage with my visual art and creativity in a way that's just so much more um effective in the long run that i can mm. just push out more of that creativity and the more you push out the more creative you get i, I just think it's incredible mm. yeah 
Yeah. So having said the background with NFTs, like I think that was an important first step of our conversation. The title of the show is about AI changing AI and blockchain changing commerce. Um, the NFT part is actually the blockchain part, right? Because NFTs are, are built on top of blockchain. And then AI is a tool that helps us in various areas. For Pigeon, it's graphic. For me, it's writing. I use the Jasper AI tool pretty extensively to help with all the copy that I have to write on a regular basis. Um, but Kieran, so the next step is AI and NeoSwap, right? So how, how does NFTs and AI change commerce? What does that look like? And kind of how, how was your journey getting from NFTs into AI-powered commerce? There's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways you could take that. Um, the first thing would be maybe my journey was, uh, was luck again. Um, I, you know, I think, well, I'm being open to luck, right? I, I wrote a piece, uh, I think it's a couple of years ago now called a bullish case for NFTs, um, which ended up quite widely shared. And that was from my perspective as a collector. And I was already involved in the space at the time. And then I got more involved with a bunch of different NFT, um, uh, projects and advising people who were looking at launching projects, many of which I told not to, um, because it was kind of like they, they weren't doing it for the right reasons or they just didn't get it yet or, you know, it wasn't the time. Um, and then I was working for a family office um, that I still do some work with, uh, an amazing guy and who likes to generally rain, remain anonymous. And um, I got introduced to John Ennis, Dr. John Ennis, who uh, is a PhD mathematician with a postdoc in computational neuroscience. Um, An absolute genius. A yeah, whiz. <laughs> uh, exactly. And so he showed us this thing he could do, this AI algorithm he'd made, and we were both blown away by it. And um, so that was how I got involved in the space was then he asked me if I would be interested in joining the team after we probably had known each other for six, seven plus months at that point, been helping advise. Um, before that, my experience with AI was, I guess, semi-limited, um, depending on the time frame and when you want to look at it. I've toyed around with tools over the years, and then more recently, um, you know, OpenAI and Jasper, which I think used to be called Jarvis and had to change its name from from Marvel. Um, because of Disney, yeah. yeah OpenAI, exactly. that's text-based too, right? Yeah, so my understanding, and this might be wrong, so if anyone knows, please correct me, but um, I've been told a few times that Jarvis is actually built on top of OpenAI's engine and that okay. they were uh, given some, I don't know whether it's early access or some sort of thing to be able to commercialize and build on top of it um, and use it. So in OpenAI, there is a thing called Playground and you can do text-based um, prompts and, and questions and things like that in there. Um, I haven't toyed around with them both directly side by side to see whether I'm guessing, you know, Jarvis might be optimized in some other way for content production versus just general. Um, but it kind of introduced me to this more general purpose um, stuff. The other one would be there's a company called Aletheia AI in the NFT space. And I held a few clubhouses back when that was a thing during COVID um, with the founder of, of them, um, a guy called, I think it's Arif Khan. Um, sorry if I've got the name wrong but um very clever guy and he was taking um gpt3 and applying that to nft so that you could kind of drop your nft in a uh yeah there it is um in a in a capsule almost and then give your nft uh, a character and bring it to life and that was really cool so we did a clubhouse where we had Darth Vader come up on stage and, you know, you could interact Whoa. with him and ask him questions um, and a few other things. And I haven't spoken to them for a while now, but they ended up raising a lot of money. I just thought it was really fascinating. And you could see, you know, if 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 GPT-3 is, 
I don't want to use the term rudimentary because it's obviously not, but if it's right. one of the first kind of public iterations of this, it's only going to get better. And it was already impressive. And people have been working on that for a long time behind the scenes. Um, on the commerce front, it was John who introduced the idea to me because uh, what Neoswap does in, in essence is we call it hyper-efficient commerce. Um, but it's uh, the first time when I saw it, it was multi-way, multi-item trades or swaps. And so, you know, you can get multiple people in a room and these things aren't peer-to-peer. Uh, it might be that, you know, you have something I want purple, but I don't have anything that you want, but I've got something that Style Pigeon wants and three other people. And so if I send a little bit of currency here and, you know, three NFTs there, that frees up those other three people to send things around and kind of can complete all these different trades, which end up meaning that you purple will send me the thing I want. And so that's how you start creating a lot of liquidity um, or a lot of transactions, I would say, in a low liquidity environment. And so one of the first things that we're applying it to is nfts um and swapping nfts but it's again i always call it general purpose technology and from my understanding and view of it because you could apply it to supply chain and logistics the first time i saw it i thought this is really interesting because you could apply it to um probate so like estate settlements or divorces or things like that where you know there are large differences in subjective value and maybe people are getting stuck on these points or areas they don't actually need to or where a small amount of exchange in other areas would unlock that. So um, I think it is a tool. Um, and there's one analogy that comes to mind for me, which I read, I think it was in, in Walter Isaacson's book, Steve Jobs talks about looking at the efficiency of humans moving and against other animals. And I think uh, the anecdotally, it was like the most efficient one was a condor something it was it was some sort of bird i think and that humans ranked way down the list but if you then measured a human on a bicycle they skyrocketed um and it was like that it's a tool you know like a lever tool to make things more efficient and so um i think i have some really optimistic views about where it will go i think it needs management as well but it's not dystopian inherently um from yeah. my perspective and so yeah i think like things tools like neoswap can just supercharge um, commerce and markets and just change the way things are done. I think, you know, the way things are currently done, we would all agree is not the way things are going to be done in 50 years or a hundred years time or even 10 years time. And I think we could be right on the precipice of some of this stuff changing at a really accelerated pace. Um, and AI can be one of those tools that can help. So, yeah, I mean, you can see a, a gift that's been brought up here. And um, this, this, I think, always helps when you're explaining it to people. If you take a look, you can see that in some instances, one of these, these nodes on this graph, which would represent a person or a wallet, might be sending something out to an address, but isn't getting anything back from that address. But that address is then sending things on to other people. And then you can see all of these trades that are unlocked that you would never find if you got together with people. So it's a much more efficient way to conduct transactions. You need much less cash, much less physical liquidity because typically liquidity is selling something into cash so that you can then readily buy something else um you know you may need one tenth of the amount that you would traditionally lead, need to make this kind of thing happen yeah yeah totally so i mean yeah i love the tools angle specifically with this i mean so for me three big things that stand out in my mind you know is bitcoin then nfts and now ai Bitcoin was originally just thought of as a tool to be able to transact faster on the internet, but now it's opened up, you know, wild possibilities for commerce that we would have never imagined possible. Same thing for NFTs. Originally, it was just a JPEG, 
you know, but now there's token gating. Now there's uh, time locked NFTs. Now there's uh, generative NFTs. There's like all of these new things that have blasted open the possibilities for NFTs. And I feel like my own experience in Pigeon 2 in the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that exact same thing happen in our own minds with AI. I used to think, and you know, a lot of people, I think that probably watch our show and, and just participate in keeping up with new tech may have heard headlines like AI is going to replace X percent of jobs in the next however many years. And all of that turns everybody off towards AI almost immediately because it's mm -hmm. like AI is coming for my job, right? Or AI is coming for X. Mm -hmm. But when I started thinking about AI through the lens of Bitcoin, NFTs, and as a tool to make my work easier. So I'm a community manager, right? I have to write lots of tweets. I have to write lots of blog articles. I have to write lots of content. When I find, found Jasper and realized, hey, like this is something that can make me more valuable as a worker, my mind started kind of being opened up to the possibilities of using AI as a tool like one would use Buffer for social media posts or, you know, Photoshop for putting together cartoon uh, stitches, right? Or Midjourney Pigeon for generating mm -hmm. new NFTs that, you know, you could, you can crank out the work that, you know, in 10 to 15 minutes that used to take six hours, which is just shocking so my next question then is like where do you think you're in that or where would you hope that ai powered commerce like neoswap will be in the next five to ten years you know what's like the the big like bitcoiners say we want it to be the national standard what's what's neoswap's national standard in that sense yeah i think there's different time frames um and and it will depend on on the application but as more and more stuff comes on chain and is represented as an NFT, then we can swap more and more things. Um, I think the interesting thing though, is that the back end of, of NeoSwap is um, kind of sector agnostic. Blockchain makes it a lot easier to do um, because you can see and confirm, you know, what wallet owns or is holding any specific item at any one time. And if that wallet can sign that um, uh, transaction, then great. Whereas it's a lot harder in the physical world to do that right now. But granted there, you know, there are, there are hurdles to applying it purely in the physical world but that will get those barriers will get lower and lower um and ai i think will be part of that and you know we're looking at, at companies like uh materium is one i often bring up that are bringing real world items on chain that you've seen azuki's in the past week have done it with their physical back tokens so um there's one world where you know over the next five plus years more and more and more and more items just come on chain and so like houses think, right wasn't a house just sold as an nft last week i think yeah that blew my mind. The, an LLC, uh, ownership of an LLC was represented as an NFT and that LLC held a house. Um, <clears throat> I think there's still some, yeah, some challenges with actually bringing, sure. like bringing um, a property register purely on chain and doing that. But right. still, it's a really interesting use case. And, you know, you can represent any asset in an LLC really, but it, it doesn't become cost effective. Um, but point being, yeah, there is this incremental move towards that. And if that continues, then more and more things are going to be on chain and you can swap them. Um, I think almost regardless of if that doesn't happen, we're still looking at ways you can apply it to other areas. Um, supply chain and logistics being one because it can make things a lot more efficient. But blockchain makes these things easier um, because it's public, it's transparent. Things can be settled immediately and signed. When, when you say it makes uh, that commerce more efficient, uh, specifically in regards to supply chains and whatnot. Can you lay that out a little bit um, just for those of us who aren't already totally immersed in all of this? Yeah. So um, 
from there's a few angles from the efficiency perspective one is just use of resources and allocation of resources and so it's just simply that if you use if you use a tool if you use neoswap as an example you can allocate resources where they're most desired at that specific point in time and you can do that with the need for a lot less currency you know where you might have to sell uh, just to go back to the NFTs as an example, you list something on a marketplace, you have to, you want to get a certain price for it because you like to sell it to then be able to do X, Y, Z. Whereas in this case, you might be able to just swap, get the two things you want and then get 5% of the currency you wanted, but it doesn't matter because you've actually then got the other things that you wanted. Um, so there's the angle of just efficient allocation of resources which ai can help with and can do um and then there's also the actual settlement where it's i mean like in supply chain and commerce as an example a bill of lading goes through some ludicrous amount of change of hands through its lifetime um and it can be very difficult to you know prove who owns what at any one moment in time whereas a public permissionless ledger can be really good for that i'm a bit of a like I tend to think, I guess, in shades of gray with this and that some of these things can be done on, on, you know, private ledgers, DLTs, you know, Excel spreadsheets, essentially, if they're uh, protected by a certain group of people and they trust them. But the point being that um, the idea of being able to verify something quickly and then be able to sign a transaction and settle it is is really important, especially if you're applying AI to it. Um, it's and especially if you're dealing across different countries different borders different rules different jurisdictions some people are more or less opaque than others when you're dealing with these kinds of things and so you're able to do that with confidence um and then the digital settlement again helps with that because you can imagine right now if um you know you swapped a, a bicycle for a pair of skis for something else an ipad that someone says well the ipad battery is not as good as you said it was or the bike scratched or the skis are you know the the bindings are damaged that kind of thing um that's a lot harder to um, manage when you don't have um, a chain like this involved. So there's there's efficiency from a few angles there, basically. Yeah, one is just efficiency of the li literally of the market and allocation of resources, and then the other is it just it just makes it easier to swap goods in circumstances like this, especially low trust environments, which is where arguably that's where blockchains really help. Outside of that, they can be not not so helpful, or they can be less efficient. That's actually something that I really like about NeoSwap. Um, I, so I'm big into Stacks, uh, Blockchain, NFTs, Pigeon is too. Um, and NeoSwap launched there. Um, and I am really happy that you guys are uh, blockchain agnostic, right? So Solana is coming up next, Ethereum's after that. Um, but one thing that's really cool as an NFT nerd is that whenever someone approaches me and wants to trade, because that happens quite frequently, right? Like, so there's Gamma where people can bid on NFTs. It's a marketplace and you can sell someone something. But maybe... I mean, and often I don't want to sell a particular item. I would rather trade it for something that I could trade up or for a collection. And so I've had people hit me up and say, hey, like, let's trade. And it used to take forever. It used to take DMs back and forth. And then it used to have to take trusting that person that they would actually send you what it is that they said they would. But with NeoSwap, mm -hmm. I've used it as a trustless escrow system. Where I'm like, you want to trade? Let's trade. Let's hop in a NeoSwap room and make it happen. You know, so yeah. I put up the NFT that they want. They throw up a bunch of different options and then some stacks budget. And yeah, so I mean, if you think about expanding that out even to a larger like community, you could do. I mean, like you said, divorce lawyers should be shaking in their boots with this type of technology because the discovery period where they make most of their money is going to be, you know, taken down to virtually nothing with technology that AI and blockchain settlement brings. So. 
Um, I'm excited for it. On on that point as well, though, it goes back to to it being a tool um, or or AI in general being a tool where, um, like, I guess there's different perspectives and there's nuance to a lot of these things. But the other way you could look at it as a as a lawyer in that situation is this is going to make me be able to process 10x the amount of work I did before in less time. Yeah, and there you yeah, go. And do it that way, and I'm going to do a better job. You know, like everyone's right. going to leave more satisfied um, as well. well. It- Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, it, it kind of like just rises the tide overall by allowing for excess capital. And so since we live in a primarily capitalistic system, everything is essentially run based on what capital is available, right? That's how value is determined to some extent as well. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you have a really expensive product if nobody has the capital to purchase it. Um, so mm-hmm. then I go, okay, well, what if I give you, uh, this much capital plus this valuable object, can we trade then? And, yeah. and the AI just handles that lightning fast so that we don't have to be limited by our human, you know, our organic bandwidth just can't yeah. handle all of those mathematical interactions. So this just cuts that straight out. So there's no reason that lawyers wouldn't be able to charge the same amount. They, they might have to change the way that they do it with billable hours and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, change the accounting. Who cares about that? That just it's just numbers. Right. You, uh, um, but you also that excess capital happening. Sorry, go ahead. You know, you get at the core of <clears throat> partly at the core of what NeoSwap does there. And, and it's a line, you know, John uses a lot, which is just um, people have lots of items they don't want that other people do want. And you will have items I want that you no longer want. And that is, in in essence, that's the core of it. But, you know, maybe I don't have the liquid cash to be able to give you that. You want, you know, $500 for this thing. But I probably have $500 worth of stuff kicking around in my place that I don't need or want anymore and and probably in excess of that. Um, But it's much more difficult to want to try and list all these items individually, sell them, get the price you want, et cetera, et cetera. So you're providing like a a big efficiency gain there. Um, And I think the other thing is with with AI and and tooling going forward, open AI, stable diffusion, mid-journey, this stuff, I, I hope that it just means that people, it's an option. It's not an obligation. And also that people are able to use these tools to reduce the amount of time that they're doing things they don't enjoy. Um, and I, I guess I think that's the more positive perspective on it is that humans will be able to free up more time um, to do other things. Maybe that is just purely creative pursuits, um, especially on the general purpose side of things. And then on the creative side of things, these things are like a bicycle for your mind maybe you know like you're able to to experiment with things way quicker than you would before or get results in a way that you you couldn't do but you could see in your head or all these kind of things it's just another tool it's another form of brush uh you know in your toolbox uh in your paint box and you don't have to use it but you can so i have actually a, a funny anecdote so um i am actually game of logging certified um I used to build hiking trails, so I got chainsaw certified in this thing called game of logging. But anyway, um, what's cool about AI is watching something happen that I know has already happened in the past. When chainsaws were initially invented, uh, almost 100% of the logging community was like, you got to be joking me. Like, this is this is never going to be useful um, mm-hmm. because they were the size of a car, right? Um, the engines that they had to be able to run these things were massive. So you've got to transport it into the woods. 
uh, you may or may not be able to use fuel in that on that particular uh, BLM land or whatever. So back in the day, it was cross cut saw and an axe was way more efficient and effective. But now we've got electric chainsaws that are incredibly useful mm-hmm. and I can just run out into my yard, just snip, snip. Now that tree's good to go and we move on. And it's just, it's completely ubiquitous now in the logging industry, of mm-hmm. course, to have chainsaws. And obviously they have bigger machinery and whatnot that they use now as well. It's just unbelievably efficient. But the chainsaw was initially a, who is ever going to use this? and or this is going to destroy the logging industry but the logging industry hasn't gone anywhere uh the people who were against it are now like no why would i yeah of course i use a chainsaw it's easy um and ai tools are going to do the exact same thing in my opinion it's going to be oh my god the sky is falling until they get a hold of mid-journey and they're like oh i don't have to do all of this work i can just ask this computer to do a lot of that work for me and I'll just do the human side of things. It's almost like it's making us more human. Yeah, I never knew that on the logging side. That's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think you see that uh, often in in any advance of technology, right? Whether it it, it was the car or the train, um, you know, and people not wanting to use that or the printing press. um, And the curse uh, of leading edge tech, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. What's really <clears throat> crazy is it took another like 150 years before a guy named Soren Erickson um, actually came up with a way to use the chainsaw where it wasn't just mimicking the crosscut axe right. combo, where he started doing something called a bore cut, which nobody had ever thought to do before, where he takes the chainsaw and just plunges it straight through the tree using the tip of the chainsaw which obviously you can't do with a normal handsaw, right? You can't just poke it through the tree. But with a chainsaw, it's going all the way around and it's still making a cutting action. So as long as you know how to do it right, you can just plug through. What he decided to do was plug through and then doing what's called a bore cut and then leaves a tag on the backside of the tree. And it's a significantly safer way to fell trees because until you eliminate that tag on the back, the tree's not going anywhere. Yeah, the, the vertical structure of the tree has not changed at all. Yeah, but it is. It, yeah, I mean, I think just thinking about it as a tool is helpful. Um, and I, I just think it's there, there's there's a million different ways you can you can explain it, and there's lots of nuance, and everything is located on a spectrum. But I think in some ways there's an analogy where it's it's like some artists like to use canvas, and others, um, you know, like to use oil paints versus acrylics and others want to do paper and others like to do pencil and others like to do um statues and others like to do installation art and they use all different kinds of mediums and so i think you know there's an element of it could just take over lots of mundane jobs but then i think it could also be used as a tool to supercharge other people in other ways um and still have a a soul to it then that it's not just something that's kind of purely computer generated and, and doesn't have a meaning behind it it's like no people have put time and effort and thought into this and they've just used this as a tool to use it to yeah. create it so yeah 100 no. agree I, I think people should hit us up if y'all want to do like t-shirts to say ai is my superpower i think we could i think we could pull that off that would be a there lot you of go. <laughs> yeah i like that cool well so kieran i really appreciate you being on today uh gingerly is a show for beginners uh, we always want to leave our viewers with thought, new thoughts to have, which I think we've done. And I also like to leave them with resources to DYOR, or do your own resource. 
or research on. Uh, so that being said, do you have like a favorite book or a good resource that anyone watching or listening and because uh, we'll be on Spotify, I forgot to mention that. Uh, listening down the road should go look up right after uh, this episode oh um no books come to mind i think that where i would steer people would be if they're interested in in learning more two places one would just be twitter i think twitter is really helpful and you can follow oh, really man. helpful people and then you'll find their blogs and they've got some great mediums you know whether it's i don't know someone like a paul graham and you get to go and read his his writing that's not crypto specific but there are loads of people in the crypto space like that there are some really helpful youtube channels um DeFi dad is really helpful uh finematics is another yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a million more like I'm trying to think of the names off the top of my head and I can't other uh, defiant have done some really great stuff as well with news um, and and just lots of tutorials and explainers. Um, I think they're the best places to start I, uh, in my opinion, yeah. because you end up um, you can pick out what looks interesting to you and kind of dig and just do a little bit more. Um, right. Yeah, I'm actually really struggling to think of any books. Off the top no, of no head. worries. I, I put you on the spot just a little bit. There. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I just any kind of resource at all. So I, I actually really like the Defiant myself. I've spent many, many hours on their site watching various tutorials. Um, if you are into mysterious NFT projects, they did a big series on Pac, the artist, which is fascinating. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, fantastic recommendations. Um, also, so yeah, yeah, go I for would it. Say, like follow people who really don't agree with um, all of these things, like whether it's NFTs and crypto or like just opposing views, because there are some fair points they make. There are some unfair points, like all of these things. But I think it helps you just be informed and to look at all of these things and realize they're not panaceas, they're not utopias. It's not just one size fits all. Like there is nuance and you don't end up in an echo chamber then. So there's plenty of people I follow who whose opinions I don't agree with and some I do. Um, but I wouldn't just go purely down that line because I think it helps you form a, a more full picture then as to why these things can be interesting and in the general trend and where we're heading and that it is an experiment um, and that the way things are right now is probably not how they'll look in two years time. And it's not, it's not static. Yeah. Now that's a really good perspective. Me and Pigeon are huge proponents of that. We want to be able to have public discussions. We want to be able to hear perspectives we don't agree with because the only way that we make incredible technological and personal advancements is through that type of discussion and open forum. So yeah. really appreciate you being a proponent of that, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, I, I would like to even just point out that me and you got connected over Twitter, right? Like that's the exactly. whole reason that we even, uh, any of this like started is because of Twitter. So yeah, I mean, take it seriously. Don't be in an echo chamber. Um, and yeah, get out there and do some research and be a producer. So uh, with that, Kay, really appreciate you taking the time, man. This is a fantastic conversation. Um, style Pigeon, pleasure as yeah. always. It's For great sure. being in the room two other fellow genders. I was going to um, say, it was, it was great. Great to, to feel surrounded by my, my kin. And I'll see you all at the, the monthly Monday ginger meeting as well. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. See you there. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, in that case, we'll see you all in the Twitterverse. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure. Yep. For sure.